The following presentation was recorded at the Buddhist Society of Victoria, Malvern East, Australia. Please visit our website at bsv.net.au. Okay, okay, okay. So let us uh, carry on. And um, this morning we were just talking about the um, various problems uh, of life that um, uh, the Buddha to be uh, is reflecting on before his becoming a monk. Yeah? And we're looking at the idea of rebirth, being reborn uh, this morning, uh, which is like the starting point of all these problems. And um, so now we're going to continue uh, and then see what uh, what all of these things are and how to deal with them. Of course, how to deal with them is really the important thing. Uh, how we think about them, how we use this for reflection uh, so as to turn the mind in the right direction. All of this is about turning the mind in the right direction. It is about the connection between right view on the one hand uh, and then right samma sankappa on the other hand. Uh, the idea of sankappa is like uh, aim or purpose or direction or intention yeah um, so that of course is fundamental for the practice to work yeah okay so let's just uh, continue reading from this and see what happens uh, so what should be described as liable to grow older partners and children male and female bond servants goats and sheep chickens and pigs elephants and cattle are liable to grow old these attachments are liable to grow old. Someone who is tired, infatuated, and attached to such things, uh, themselves liable to grow old, uh, seeks what is also liable to grow old. So, um, old age is, uh, not, you know, is a kind of painful to grow old in many ways, uh, and it's a reminder of death. That's kind of one of the, I think, the kind of important things about growing old. It's a reminder of impermanence. Uh, things are always changing. Uh, and it's difficult enough in oneself, but it's also hard to see old age uh, in those who are close to us uh, because it is similarly a reminder of these things. Uh, if you know, kind of classic one is if you're a parent and then you see your children grow old. I was just talking to my mother the other day uh, and she... <laughs> And she's, and you know, I'm getting not so far away from 60 now. And so she said, oh, I have a son who's 60. I can't believe it. That's kind of really weird. Uh, and uh, so this is kind of the fear of old age and those people who are close to you. And I, <laughs> it was very palpable at that point. Uh, so uh, anyway, I'll discuss each one of these in more detail just below. Uh, but um, uh, for now, I'll just go through them fairly quickly here. And what should be described as liable to fall sick? Partners and children, uh, male and female bond servants, uh, goats and sheep, chickens and pigs, elephants and cattle are liable to fall sick. These attachments are liable to fall sick. Someone who is tired, infatuated, attached to such things, uh, themselves liable to falling sick, seeks what is also liable to fall sick. And what should be described as liable to die? Partners and children, male and female bond servants, goats and sheep, chickens and pigs, elephants and cattle are liable to die. These attachments or these possessions are liable to die. Someone who is tired, infatuated and attached to such things, themselves liable to die, seeks what is also liable to die. 
what should be described as liable to sorrow. Partners and children, male and female, bond servants, goats and sheep, chickens and pigs, elephants and cattle are liable to sorrow. These attachments are liable to sorrow. Someone who is tired, infatuate and attached to such things themselves liable to sorrow. Six, what is also liable to sorrow. And what should be described as liable to corruption. Partners and children. Male and female bond servants. Goats and sheep. Chickens and pigs. Elephants and cattle. Gold and money. Are liable to corruption. These attachments are liable to corruption. Someone who is tired, infatuated and attached to such things. Themselves liable to corruption. Seeks what is also liable to corruption. This is the ignoble search. So, um, all of these things, uh, looking for things, forgetting the downside and the problem with things, uh, you search for things that compound the problem for yourself. The last one here is a bit interesting, the idea of corruption. The Pali word is sankilesa, and sankilesa is related to the word kilesa or upakilesa. There's different versions of this word, uh, uh, but sankilesa is the usual word for defilement or corruption in the suttas. Uh, Upakilesa is also used, but that means more like the refined defilements of the mind, as in the Upakilesa Sutta, we'll have a look at that later on, which talks about the kind of minor problems before you attain deep meditation. But Sankilesa is a kind of standard word for corruption or defilement in the suttas. And you see here, this is the first time you add in also gold and money. Gold and money is not mentioned for all the other things, uh, for good reason, because uh, gold and money doesn't really die yeah, in the same way, metaphorically perhaps, but not literally. And usually these words are meant literally. This is one of those important things uh, about many of these words in the suttas. It's important to read them in the right way. Uh. So very commonly... People would argue that the word like death is used in a metaphorical sense, not in a literal sense, so that, you know, death can refer to a mind moment or that kind of things. But actually, that's not how the suttas work. The suttas are very straight to the point. And if something is used metaphorically, then usually you will know about it because it's obvious. But uh, old age means old age. Death means old age. You know, death. I mean, it doesn't make much sense to talk about the old age of a mind moment, Right? It's kind of a bit weird, isn't it, anyway? It just means, as a metaphor for decline. But, I mean, why not use decline then? It's kind of... <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't really work, in my opinion. The sickness of a mind moment, etc. So, um, uh, so the, here we see this addition of gold and money, because now it makes sense. Gold and money is defiled, right? Uh, you see this in the suttas elsewhere. It is defiled by impurities, uh, and, uh, of course, when something is defiled by an impurity, uh, what happens? Uh, it loses its value, uh, right? Its value is gone. It doesn't have any value to anymore. Money that is defiled by impurities, uh, actually, it lo- it, you know, the, someone comes and weighs it, and they figure out, actually, no, this is not real gold, so it becomes valueless. It doesn't, have, it doesn't really work for you anymore. Uh. And uh, so the things in life have a tendency to get corrupted, uh, including the gold and money, uh, and uh, what that means is if you look back to the beginning here, the corruptions of partners and children and all these other beings, uh, they also, when they get corrupted, when they get defiled, defilements for human beings or for animals means uh, 
um, defilements of the mind, like anger or ill will and delusion. Uh, that is what these things mean for ordinary, ordinary human beings or, or animals. Uh, so when people get defiled, uh, when people get angry, uh, when people are full of desires, when they are deluded about the nature of reality, uh, they have less value to us. Uh, Right? Why is it that you are attracted to somebody? Why is that someone is important to you in your life? It's because they have certain characteristics that you really value. Huh? Yeah, they are kind, they are good-hearted, they are wise, they are pure, whatever it is. But if those values actually start to decline, and that can often be the case, then people are not so interesting to you anymore. And this can often happen in life. Sometimes you don't know who you get married to. You get married kind of half-blind, no idea what's going on. And they cannot... <laughs> I think someone sounds like they have some experience with that here. <laughs> you don't know what you're doing, yeah? especially when you're young and foolish and have no idea, and they turn out to be very different from what you think they are. Or people just get defiled over time. People change over time. This is the nature of things that they change. Yeah? And there's all these ugly things come out in this person. Yeah? So you don't know about this. And that kind of takes away the interest uh, takes away the attraction uh, in actually having relationships through attachment uh, because that attachment is there precisely because you value what is there uh, if you take away those qualities actually it becomes painful uh, and so remember that whenever you are attached to someone whoever it might be even if it's just a friend uh, even if it's just even a spiritual teacher right uh, you don't know what's going to happen with your spiritual teachers uh, there's always the downside, always the possibility that this person will get corrupted. Uh, and that is scary uh, because it destroys the relationship. You get challenged, you start crying, you start, no, this, what happened to this beautiful person? Uh, I remember there was um, some very famous monastics that turned out to not be as pure as people thought they were. Uh, yeah, often they kind of come around, they are very, uh, very charming and very often very... Um, kind of articulate, they speak really well, you know, and they kind of shine when they kind of are there. And then after a while, it turns out actually they have all kind of defilements come out when you become famous and, and all these kind of things. And I've seen people becoming incredibly distraught when the spiritual teachers turn out not to be what they are. And this is one of the reasons why in Buddhism we don't really take refuge in individuals, at least not in, ideally in Buddhism, Unfortunately, it happens way too much in Buddhist circles. Uh, you don't take refuge in individuals. Uh, why? Because you don't know. Uh, it's very hard to judge what's going on. Uh, corruption is often there under the surface, uh, waiting to come out, given the right circumstances. Uh, all these nasty character traits come out, uh, and you realize you were wrong. You, you, made, a, you made a mistake. Yeah? So in Buddhism, instead of taking refuge in individuals, uh, you take refuge in the Sangha. You take refuge in the general idea that when many people practice in the right way, there will be some who actually have good results on this path. You may not know exactly who it is, but there will be some. And this is kind of the this is why that sort of refuge is better rather than attaching to holding on to individuals. So it can be on the spiritual path. It can be your animals. Yeah, maybe they become corrupted for become angry or whatever. Your your servants or your bond servants start maybe they start stealing from you. They were reliable in the beginning, then they become dodgy. All of these things are painful. Dodgy servants are are <laughs> painful servants. So the idea of that we everyone gets corrupted. Yeah, you start to kind of get this feeling for. 
how unstable everything is. Yeah, I, this idea of, but this is all part of this idea of anicca, of impermanence, uh, of instability in everything around us. Uh, and you start to see how all-encompassing it is, uh, how deeply it goes. Uh, yeah, there's nothing in the world that's untouched by the idea of impermanence, uh, of things getting corrupted, sliding, uh, and becoming uh, you know, unbearable after a while. Uh, and the more kind of grand view we have of all of these things, and the more we see this clearly, uh, the more we kind of turn towards the spiritual path, because we need to find a way out of this uh, Okay, let's uh, uh, let's have a look at this is where it gets interesting because now we come to the noble search. What is the noble search? It is when someone who is themselves liable to be reborn understands the drawbacks in being liable to be reborn. They seek the unborn supreme sanctuary extinguishment. So you have to see the uh, first of all if you are yourself liable to reborn uh, obviously the first thing you have to do is to understand the problem uh, yeah you have to see that there is an issue here uh, and when you understand the issue uh, then of course you start to look in a different place uh, most people don't even get it that the rebirth is a problem uh, and actually it is quite hard to understand uh, I think sometimes as Buddhists we pay lip service to these ideas uh, and we say, yes, rebirth is bad, but actually in, deep inside we actually want to be reborn anyway uh, because the alternative is too scary. Uh. So, and so this, is, this is a dangerous thing. You think you understand these ideas because you have been around Buddhism for a long time. Maybe you were born in a Buddhist country, uh, some of you perhaps. Uh, and these ideas are so ingrained that we think we understand what they mean. Actually, we don't. Uh, and deep down, we are almost still rejecting them, even though on the surface we, we agree with these things. Uh. So first of all, you have to understand the drawback in these things. Uh, yeah? what, what is really the issue here? What is the problem uh, and uh, the idea of rebirth, as I mentioned at the beginning, uh, it is this kind of grand view of reality uh, where you stand back, you take the bird's eye view and you see this kind of uh, enormity of, of what is happening. Yeah? Enormity is this whole idea of being reborn and then dying again, uh, not knowing where you're going to go next, uh, not knowing whether you might get corrupted during the next lifetime. Uh, and if you get badly corrupted during one lifetime, and of course, uh, that is going to have a great effect on your future destiny beyond that. Uh, and it's kind of this incredible uncertainty, uh, this incredible thing of doing things again and again. Uh, so it, starting out with, first of all, knowing that, accepting the idea that there is a rebirth, uh, and then seeing the problems behind this, uh, understand that there's a real issue here. Uh, how many times do you want to die here? You know, once, once is scary enough, right? We, who, who wants to die hundreds of times? Uh, that's kind of um, problematic. Yeah. So you reflect on these uh, drawbacks, you understand what is going on. Uh, and then, once you understand that there is an issue, uh, then you seek the alternative. This is the noble search. Uh, you're looking in a different direction uh, because you understand, actually, this is really kind, kind of unbearable. Uh. So it says here, you seek the unborn, the ajata, and I would prefer the translation that you seek the freedom from, from birth. Because um, uh, the, the, if the problem is birth, uh, then the solution is the freedom from birth. Uh, the unborn is a slightly, I don't know, it's uh, one of those translations whereby the unborn, it sounds like some kind of state. It sounds like some sort of uh, thing, place that you want to go. Uh. 
So you seek the freedom from birth, the supreme sanctuary. Yeah, this is the Anuttara Yoga Kema. Anuttara is always the uh, supreme in Buddhism. Yoga Kema. Yoga is like exertion. And Kema is like safety or freedom or, or you know. So it's like the safety or freedom from exertion. Finally, you can relax. Yeah, this is what this is about. Finally, you can just, finally you can chill. You don't have to do anything. Remember the Buddha after his awakening, he didn't really want to teach anyone in the world. Yeah, because he thought it's just stressful. I have to go out teaching people and they won't understand anything anyway. It's too profound. Maybe I should just kind of sit in meditation for the, you know, until I kind of pass away. Then, of course, the famous story of Brahma Sahampati coming down and saying, please, please teach. Yeah, there's a problem here. There will be people who understand and then the eye of the Buddha, he surveys the world and he sees that there are beings with little dust in their eyes. And then he decides to teach as a, as a consequence. Yeah? So the Buddha was kind of this idea of yoga kema, exertion, freedom from exertion, resting after exertion. But he always wanted to meditate and be at peace. But most of us, we never know anything about freedom from exertion. We don't know what this means because we're always exerting ourselves. We're always driven by desires, always running around. So we don't know what that, this even means, this word. The only way we can find out what this word actually means is to achieve some deep meditation. And within that deep meditation, when the mind becomes completely quiet and the desires are completely gone, that is when you understand what this rest from exertion actually means. You can see it even in your meditation most of the time. Yeah, the mind is still active. You're still thinking about th- these things. And so there isn't really any freedom from that exertion there either. There's a little bit more rest from exertion, but it's not, not all that much. And really it has to go very, very profound before you start to understand what these things even mean. So this is this idea that finally you can rest. Finally, wow, now I've given up craving, now I can really relax. And I can just, you know, finally I can enjoy life. Until now, I've just been, uh, you have to become enlightened before you can enjoy life. <laughs> it's kind of, that's, bit, that's uh, putting the bar very high, but it's true, right? Uh, and then you, uh, but the weird thing, once you enjoy life, then you're c- looking forward to your extinguishment soon afterwards. Uh, that's kind of the weird thing there. Uh, so you enjoy life for a short time, and then bang, you're extinguished afterwards. Uh, <laughs> so we don't know what enjoyment means this is a part of that interesting thing with uh, the first noble truth the first noble truth is noble truth of dukkha of suffering yeah. Yeah. and um, people and it kind of it says in the first noble truth that birth is suffering all day to suffering sickness suffering all day and being separated from what you like is suffering being unified what you don't like is suffering not getting what you want in suffering sankitena panchaparana kanda dukkha in brief the five aspects of personality or whatever, or of the person, or aggregates, or whatever you prefer, is suffering. And um, so it looks, if you look at that, it may look like, well, you just have to kind of uh, add up all the things that are suffering, and then you understand what suffering is. uh, But not really. In the end, at the end of all of this, uh, uh, suffering is an insight. And it is an insight you really only get when things become really peaceful and still. uh, and then you start to see that you never were even able to relax before. Uh, that's when you start to understand the suffering, that we are so immersed in that suffering at all times, uh, we can't even see it. Uh, it's like the uh, famous uh, tadpole in the water doesn't understand water until it becomes a frog. 
then when it jumps out of the water, then it understands what water is all about. Uh, in the same way, we have to jump out of the suffering a little bit, or rather jumping out is the wrong, the wrong metaphor here, stilling ourselves down until we get out of that suffering. Then we can understand what is going on. Uh. So this is the rest from exertion, right? Finally you can rest. Yoga in Buddhism, it doesn't mean various kind of postures. Yoga in the early days means actually exerting yourself. It means action. That's what it means in the old, good old days. So sanctuary is his translation here, which is kind of nice. And then you have extinguishment, right? Extinguishment actually is Nibbana. So you seek Nibbana, but if you say to someone you seek Nibbana, no one knows what that means. But if you say seeking extinguishment, then you know what is going on. You want to be extinguished. What is it that you want to extinguish? Well, primarily you want to extinguish defilements. And of course you want to extinguish suffering. Yeah? These are the main things you want to extinguish. And that's how this thing comes about. So you see the drawback. Once you see the drawback, we have all... There's three of these beautiful qualities the Buddha talks about. Uh, that is the, uh, uh, the uh, um, Adinava, the Asada, the Adinava, and the Nisarana. And Nisarana is right here, so we don't have to, we can, uh, that's easy, we, can just, we know what that means straight away. <laughs> so the Asada is the delightful aspect of something. It is that thing that we attach to, that we rejoice in, that we find delightful. That's the asada, the gratification is often the translation used. And that we know already. Yeah, we already know too much about the asada of the kind of the world, the other people that we attach to. The asada we are already way overexposed to the gratification. But the adinava, that is the thing we don't know enough about. Adinava is the drawback. This is what he's talking about here. The drawback, the downside, the danger in things. Because we don't see the drawback, we only see the upside of things. That is why we have a problem. That is why we need to contemplate the downside of things. And the reason why, this is kind of a catch-22, the reason why we always see the gratification is because of our desires and attachment. We are born into this world with all of these defilements. Sometimes people think that we get born into society, and because society is blind, uh, society conditions us to attach and to crave. And there's some truth to that. Uh, but the reality is that we are actually born with this thing. We come into this world with all these latent tendencies inside of us. Uh, the attachment is already there. We bring it with us from our past life. Uh, the desire is already there. Uh, we come with us into this life, this, the, all of these things. Uh, and then we transmit them also to others. Uh, it's like, a, you know, it's like this kind of uh, spreading out, it's like a disease spreads out into society. Yeah. And um, so, uh, and, and because we are born with these things, and because these desires, attachments, they make us blind, because once you have a desire in something, yeah, you have a vested interest in that object. Yeah. That object means something to you. It's almost impossible to see something neutrally when you have a desire or attachment for something here. Yeah. You see what you want to see in that thing here. You're blind to the downsides. Uh. And so it is completely natural for us to see the gratification, the benefit in things in the world. Uh. This is what we see all the time. We see these things. Uh. The downside is very hard to see because it goes against the grain. Uh. Patti loma is the Pali word. Loma is the hair. Patti loma against the hair, against the grain, what you would say in English. Uh. Anuloma patti loma, against the grain, with the grain. Uh. 
And so when, that's why we need to reflect on these things, because the conditioning is so incredibly deep and powerful to see these things in the wrong way. And this is how we then gradually bring our view in line with the way things are, in, in the way the world actually is, the impermanence and the suffering and the things that are there. So gradually, gradually moving over this super tanker. The super tanker is the habits yeah, from the past moving us forward with incredible momentum. A super tanker fully laden with oil. It takes kilometers upon kilometers to turn around. And we are like those super tankers. Slowly, slowly, slowly we steer and we move in a different direction. So this is the Asada contemplating the downside, the Adinava, understanding that there is an issue here. Do that by reading the suttas, by contemplating and reflecting yourself, and gradually, gradually moving in that direction. And that is where the Nisarana comes, yeah? the uh, uh, escape from these things. So because you see that the downside is worse than the upside, the upside is only tiny, while the downside is huge, okay, you seek the escape. And that's the Nisarana. These, these three beautiful qualities that you see in the suttas. And that is what happens when you reach extinguishment. That's the real nisarana on this path, the real escape. Do you want to add anything to the nisarana? <laughs> You're still working on, working on it. Tunnel. <laughs> Digging the tunnel. <laughs> okay, excellent. Mm. <laughs> okay, so that is the um, the first one of these qualities. Yeah. Then we have uh, it is when someone who is themselves liable to be uh, to grow old, understanding the drawbacks in growing old, seeks the uh, freedom from growing old, the supreme sanctuary extinguishment. Yeah, seeing the drawbacks in growing old. And this is, uh, uh, this is interesting. Uh, I, this is, these things are really worthwhile contemplating. Uh, and the reason why these things are worthwhile contemplating is that the Buddha specifically says about these things, uh, these are reflections that everyone should do. Uh, he mentions specifically, he mentions uh, uh, householders and monastics. Uh, yeah, Householders and monastics, so everyone here is included in this. Uh, and he ma- mentions women and men. Yeah? So regardless of your gender, regardless of your kind of worldly status, uh, these are things that we should reflect on. So these are kind of fundamental reflections on the Buddhist path. Uh, may not sound very um, kind of uh, joy-inducing, but actually it is joy-inducing. This is kind of the paradox with these things, uh, if you know how to do it in the right way. Uh. So reflecting on old age, uh, right? Uh, so um, have you come here to reflect on old age? Uh? Is that why you're here? <laughs> If you have, well done. You are on the right track. Yeah. So what does this mean, uh, reflecting on old age? Uh, how do we do this? Well, you can do it very generally. You, can just, you just know that you are older. But you will know sometimes, uh, you will get this shock yeah, that you're getting older. Uh, yeah, you look yourself in the mirror one day and think, what? What happened? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Has that ever happened to you? Uh, and, and I think... This happens to everyone, right? Uh, you kind of suddenly something has changed and you haven't really recognized it fully until one day, bang, whoa, this is amazing. Uh, sometimes it's the first time you see a gray hair, maybe, like kind of the first gray hair. Uh, there's a beautiful uh, sutta about that. The, um, this was some of the famous kings, yeah? This actually, this is a, more like a legend or mythological thing. Uh, but there was this famous king, this I think in the Makadeva sutta, Majjhima 83 or 84 or something, yeah? 
And uh, this uh, king, he, this, these are really cool kings, right? Uh, these are really, wow, this, if kings were more like that, we would be, in, we'd be okay in this world. It wouldn't be any problem. We will have a king in Australia. Actually, we have a king of Australia. Huh? <laughs> I'm not sure, not sure if he's all that wise, though. I, I'm, I, having looked at his life, I'm a bit concerned. But anyway, <laughs> so... Um, this king, he goes to his barber, yeah, and this is the time when the kind of lifespan is 84,000 years or something, something kind of really crazy. We can discuss how that is possible later on, but not now. But uh, so he says to his barber, and this is really nice, he says, when you see the first gray hair on my head, yeah, let me know, huh? And then the thousand years go by, two thousand years go by, his hair is still jet black, right? This is Indian hair, really, really black hair. <laughs> and so jet black hair, and then after 20,000 years, the barber says, Sir, I've seen the gray hair on your head. And so then the king says, Okay, pluck it out. So he gets tweezers, pulls out the gray hair, and shows it to the king. And the king says, Yeah, the divine messengers have appeared. Yeah, this is the divine messenger, the gray hair. It's like the devas sending, this is the deva dutta, the deva sending a message to me. Okay, now is the time to go forth. This is the purpose of seeing old age. The purpose is that it makes you change your direction of what you're doing here. It makes you look at the world in a new way. It awakens the spiritual faculties within you if you do it the right way. This king was obviously extraordinarily wise. He was able just to see one gray hair and he thought, wow, okay, I better do something here. For most people, it is much more difficult than that. But the potential is there for each one of us. So next time you see yourself in the mirror, look at those signs for old age and see what happens. And if it makes you go forth, <laughs> then you know it's working for you. So what happens when you see yourself, the signs of old age in the mirror, the first thing that happens when you see that uh, is that, oh no, I don't want to see. Oh, it's just too painful. You are in denial, right? You don't want to see what's going on. It's just too difficult to bear. And a lot of people are in denial about such things. They don't really want to have anything to do with it. And they turn away and they're kind of slightly disgusted and negative about these things. And I'm sure this probably happened to most of you here, unless you are super duper young. Yeah, you're still kind of in your nappies or whatever. <laughs> but I think this happens to most. I think even to monastics this will happen. Yeah? Hopefully they will deal with it a bit better. But it happens to everyone because this is just a natural human reaction to these things. So the first thing is that, is that you are in denial. The second thing that happens after you're in denial is that you try to think of a solution. Okay, gray hair. Okay, coloring, hair coloring. Okay, get the hair coloring here. <laughs> So many people color their hair, right? It's just so common in the world. Find some kind of makeup which kind of smooths things out so they don't look so wrinkly and so dodgy, right? Something like that. And when the makeup is no longer enough to sort out, Botox as the next stage, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I... <laughs> One thing other, and if the Botox is well, then maybe plastic surgery down the track as well. And so, the, so the natural human inclination is always, first of all, denial. Huh? And then after a while, you can't really deny it. It's always, okay, what is the solution? That's the next thing here. Yeah? And the problem with this way of thinking yeah, is that you think that it is in your power yeah, to overcome these things. Yeah? You feel that you have the ability to deal with these things in such a way that actually they are not really a problem. Yeah? You're putting off the reckoning here. 
You think that the old age is something that you don't have to deal with, and you keep on doing that, putting it off, putting it off, putting it off, until you die. So this is the thing. Here you have the potential for something to wake you up. Here you have the potential to see something. It's a reminder, it's a devaduta, it's a divine messenger. But instead of using that in the right way, you make yourself believe that you have the power to deal with these things. And of course it is false. You don't have the power to deal with old age. All you're doing is covering up. It's like you know, you're creating this mask, covering up the reality and pretending that things are different from what they are. So instead of gaining the benefit, the potential for spiritual awakening, which is right there within these things, instead you are buying into the delusion of the power of activity and action to cover these things up. And you start to feel empowered. And this is already such a massive delusion for us as human beings. We feel that we are in charge of our lives. We feel that we can sort out nature, the world, make things different from what they are. That is already a very powerful feeling within all of us. This is the delusion of the doer, the delusion that we have real agency in the world, that we can somehow control nature, control the natural forces that are always there, that are always more powerful than we are. And this is the delusion of a self. And so what we should do, instead of trying to buying into that delusion, the moment you see yourself in the mirror and you see, oh no, well that will happen. You will say, oh no, right? Because that's kind of, it's almost like a natural consequence of what it means to be born as a human. It's very hard to avoid that unless you are enlightened or close to awakening. In that case, you may not say that, but the majority of people will say that. But if you are smart, the moment you say, oh no, you say, wait, wait a minute, I'm saying, oh no, is this wiser? Then instead of going to the next step and denying, denying, and then finding a solution, which is not really a solution at all, uh, instead of doing that, you stay with that sign of old age, uh, and you look at it, uh, and instead of denying it, uh, you take it on board, uh, and you take it on board as a reality. Uh, this is actually happening. This is the truth of life. Uh, and the moment you do that, something very interesting happens. The moment you do that, your attachment, your desires for the body, yeah, or for actually for the whole five sense realm, really, but for the body primarily because that is what you're watching, yeah, suddenly the attachment releases a little bit. And you can feel that. You can feel it because your mind suddenly becomes more peaceful. You see that the attachment, the grip on the world releases a little bit and suddenly your mind becomes more peaceful and more quiet. Why? Because attachment and desire, these are the things that are restless, that are always agitations inside of us, always driving us on in a certain way. Suddenly there's no reason to be driven on anymore because you know there's nothing of interest in this thing that you're watching not interesting at all. Why? Because this is just the first sign of something that is gradually deteriorating all the way until you die here. And then it rots and becomes really even more disgusting here. <laughs> so this is the issue. So this is what happens. So when you do this in the right way, uh, taking on board the facts, the realities of the body, uh, you're actually reducing your attachment to the world. Uh, your mind instead turns on to the spiritual practice. Uh, it reminds you of what is really important in life. What is important in life is, of course, living well. What is important in life is, is purifying your mind. If the external you can never really be all that beautiful and attractive, because it will deter at least the mind can be attractive. You can create a beautiful mind. That's at least the very first point. 
and eventually giving up maybe that too. But that is kind of the starting point. Uh, and so your entire attitude to the world, uh, your, the way you lean in life, all of that changes uh, and it takes you in a different direction. Uh. So this is the power of contemplating old age. Yeah? It, makes you become, it makes you a more spiritual person. It makes you value those things that really are worthy of being valued. And those things that are not worthy of being valued, well, you put them a little bit to one side. And then, of course, you have that little bit of insight, and the next day you're back to attaching to the body again, of course. And that's kind of how it goes. So you have to do these things repeatedly, again and again and again. But there's a potential there. And that is kind of the point. Use that potential. I was saying yesterday that everything teaches you, or this morning or whenever it was. And so this is what I mean, yeah. This is the kind of what that means. Everything teaches you. There's always this potential there for learning and for taking things on board, Okay, so it is when someone is themselves liable to become sick or to fall sick, understanding the drawbacks in being liable to become sick seeks the freedom from illness, the supreme sanctuary extinguishment. So Now we come to sickness. Yeah, sickness is another thing that we would often deny. We will be in denial about because uh, uh, sickness is also when you see, when you feel yourself getting sick, it's, it's unpleasant. Yeah, you don't really want to be there. Or you may see family members who get sick. Yeah, maybe if you have children, maybe your child gets sick or something, or maybe your partner in life gets sick or whatever. And all of these things are always unpleasant. And the first thing, just like with old age, the first thing you say when someone gets sick, you say, oh no, oh no, you're sick. That already, you've gone wrong already. The moment you say, oh no, you should say, oh yes, you're sick. <laughs> that is the right solution. You know, that very famous story with Ajahn Brahm. Ajahn Brahm is always delightful because he likes to play around. And this is what I love with Ajahn Brahm. He's playful, right? But in a very Dhamma kind of playful way. And this is kind of beautiful. And he always has, you know, you know this story already because you've probably heard it many, many times. But it's a great story here. And Ajahn Ram says, when you go to the doctor, you should never say to the doctor, oh, doctor, something is wrong with me. I'm sick. You should always say to the doctor, doctor, something is right with me today. I'm sick again. And the doctor will look at you and think you are completely nuts and he will lock you up in the loony bin because you are not <laughs> you're not in the right mind. No. And that is the truth. The truth is that it is the nature of the body to get sick. It is not, nothing has gone wrong when the body is sick. Something has gone right when the body is sick. Health is also okay. Sickness is okay. All of these things are natural aspects of the body. So nothing has gone wrong. So the moment someone gets sick, or the moment you get sick, you should, again, you should stop yourself, just like you did in the case of old age. And you should reflect, wait a minute, let me take this on board. What does this mean? If this is the nature of the body to get sick like this, uh, actually it makes the body less attractive. Just like old age makes it less attractive, sickness also makes it less attractive because it has these incredible downsides. Uh, This is part of the body, is this illness. Uh, And so gradually you come to accept that reality of the body. uh, And as you accept that reality of the body, again, you release a little bit uh, because you know that it is uh, problematic. Uh, You know this is the way it has to go. uh. 
Same thing when someone close to you gets sick, yeah? Your children, your husband, your wife, your whoever it is that you are attached to in this world. Uh, and you, when you initially, you feel that rejection of that sickness because it's too hard to bear. But then you remember, actually, this is the nature of reality. Children do get sick. Partners get sick. Everyone gets sick. Yeah? And you start to kind of, uh, and you accept it in a different way. And some of the attachment gets released because of that. Uh, the second thing that people do after denial, of course, just like all day, they want to find a solution. Yeah, first of all, deny, oh no, not sickness. Okay, what's the solution? That's the kind of immediate, okay, some pills, the doctor, whatever, right? Uh, in the worst case scenario, euthanasia. But, uh, you know, there's always this solution there that you're looking for uh, in all of these cases. And I'm not saying you should not look for a solution. Uh, you should look for a solution, but don't buy into this idea that it is in your power to always deal with sickness. It buys into the illusion that we are empowered in life to deal with everything and to overcome the natural problems of the world. We cannot really overcome those things. We cannot control things in that way. And so instead, okay, stop. Let me look at this for a while. Okay, sickness, I can see my negative reaction. Let me take this opportunity to take this on board. What does this mean? And if you do take it on board, what you find is that your mind cools down. The attachment is released a little bit. The desire is less. You can feel your mind turning in a different direction, away from the attachments to the world, moving on to the spiritual path, making that really important. This is why the Buddha talks about these things, because he knows that these things are spiritually powerful. They are kind of simple, right? There's nothing really super-duper profound about this. But actually it is profound. This is the point. It's simple yet profound at the same time. Because most people never think like this. And so for that reason it is actually profound. And this is one of the things I was saying on the first day, that the spiritual path is so simple. Very easy little things that we have to do. It is nothing really profound about it. You don't have to be intelligent or anything to practice this spiritual path. The reason why it is difficult is because we don't apply ourselves enough. But the ideas are basic. Just be kind. Just remember you're getting old and dying. Yeah, that's really all it is. But you have to take it on board in the right way. Make it real. And that making it real is what this really is about. That's when it starts to work. So sickness is also a potential for uh, seeing life as it actually is. And now we come to the big one. Next one is death. I'm just repeating the same paragraph over and over and over, uh, just to and putting in the various words. It, it is when someone who is themselves is liable to death. Understanding the drawbacks in being liable to death seeks the freedom from death, supreme sanctuary extinguishment. Yeah, so uh, now we come to the idea of dying. Yeah? And first of all, you want to see the drawback in dying. Yeah? And I think that's kind of fairly obvious that there's many drawbacks in dying. Yeah? And yet we need to reflect on it. Uh, and one of the problems with uh, understanding the drawback in dying uh, is that it always seems like it is some time off. Uh, it seems like, yeah, it's in the future somewhere. Yeah, it's not going to happen now. I've got a few more good years left. Yeah, okay, don't worry too much. Uh, she'll be right. Uh, 
And uh, no, she won't be right. Yeah, that's <laughs> this. This is the problem. Uh, and so the issue is always this feeling that death is somewhere in the future. Uh, and it doesn't really matter how old you get. It is always when you are eighty. Okay, at least you got a couple of more years, right? When you are ninety, okay, maybe a few months anyway. When you're on your deathbed, a couple of more days at least. Uh, when you're gasping for your last breath, okay, maybe a couple of more breaths anyway. Not now. It's never now. And so. This idea here is to kind of make this death idea more realistic, yeah? to make it more clear that we don't know how much time we have left. Uh, and that really challenges, challenges your attachment in a very deep way when you think like this. Uh. And uh, again, the world is full of dying uh, all the way around us. Uh, there's always this ability to learn from the world around you. Uh, everything teaches you. Uh, and if you ever open a newspaper on any particular day, guaranteed there's lots of death in that newspaper. Yeah, War in Ukraine, natural disasters, people vile, through violence or whatever it is, someone shooting someone in America. That happens every day here, right? Uh, that's, uh, so there's always dying going on. Huh? What happens when you see that dying in the newspaper? or wherever it is, what happens is that you think, oh yeah, that's someone else, got nothing to do with me, yeah? they made a mistake, they were in the wrong place at the wrong time, being born in Ukraine, I would never be born in Ukraine, because I my, got too good karma to be reborn in Ukraine. So we, we tell these stories to ourselves, but this has got nothing to do with me, yeah? this is kind of something else. And there was an interesting, I think I mentioned this before, but there was an interesting study done in South Africa about this, and they looked at the reactions of people when they read about someone else's death in the newspaper. And that was always the reaction. Oh, yeah, yeah, nothing to do with me. Yeah, someone else, they made a foolish decision. Okay, just your next page, please. And they kind of carry on reading the newspaper. And so this is the problem. But remember, when you do read about someone who has died, that is you. They are a person just like you. And the mistakes that they made, or maybe there wasn't any mistake at all, maybe it was just kind of one of these things, you too are liable to be in exactly that same situation. Yeah, That is you. The moment you understand, the moment you see yourself in that person, that is when you're being realistic. This is one of those great things in life, to be able to see ourselves in other people. It has so many beautiful benefits uh, because it means that we don't other other people. We don't make them different from us. Uh, we kind of uh, become more compassionate towards everyone in the world regardless of who they are. Uh, but it also has, in this case, this benefit of, yes, that is actually, that is me. I have died in that way before. I will die again in that way in the future, maybe in this life. We just don't know so whenever you see death around you, this is another opportunity for an eye-opener. Don't go to the next page too quickly. Don't click on the next article on the internet or whatever it is. Stay with that for a moment. Remind yourself of this reality. And the way that moment you do that, the moment you feel the feeling of dying as a kind of presence in your own life, again, you let go as a consequence. You cannot hold on to things uh, when you are faced with death. Uh, when, you're on, when you are on your deathbed, hopefully you will be able to let go. Uh, if you cannot let go on your deathbed, uh, it's going to be very painful for you to die. Uh, so now is the chance to learn that letting go process uh, by thinking about these things in the right way. Uh, so stay with that. Uh, see what happens. Uh. It is even more powerful when someone close to you dies. Yeah, newspaper is one thing, but when, what if someone close to you starts to die? Uh, someone in your family. Uh, 
maybe not too close, but someone, maybe like a grandparent, first of all, or an uncle or auntie yeah, in your family dies. If it's too close, it's too painful, you can't deal with it. But take some intermediate position, first of all. Uh, what does that feel like? Yeah. And um, again, they're very often the response that we have when we see death around us, when it comes very close, uh, yeah, especially maybe when our own health is kind of declining a little bit, uh, our response is very often, okay, I better live healthily now. Yeah, I, I want to control death. Okay, controlling old age, controlling sick, now I'm going to control death. I'm going to exercise, I'm going to eat like this, I'm going to stop smoking and drinking, and take up meditation practice. So well done, you're already here doing that, so that's good. <laughs> One, one step for avoiding death. No, you're not here to avoid death. You're here to face death. Yeah, that's kind of the point. Uh, so congratulations even more for being here to face death. That's really, really cool of you. So you're all cool fellows uh, here. So that's great. Uh, so, yeah, again, uh, this idea, instead of, yes, we should look after the body. It's good to exercise. I'm not saying we shouldn't exercise. Uh, but first of all, take on board uh, the problem of death. Uh, then say, okay, I better exercise a little bit. Don't follow Ajahn Brahma. <laughs> Just eat whatever you want. Don't do any exercise. That is okay if you are almost enlightened or you are enlightened, but not for most ordinary people. I always thought I should, should I do like Ajahn Brahma in this case? No, I better be careful because I'm not, Ajahn Brahma is kind of way ahead of me, so I better be careful, otherwise I have a problem. So sometimes we need to take you know, these great people as a, kind of as the example, but there are sometimes we shouldn't take them as an example. And uh, <laughs> we make a careful distinction there between those two, otherwise they're going to have a problem. So um, you take these things on board. And this is very, death contemplation is the contemplation that is often recommended the most by the Buddha in the suttas. Old age is also in that direction. Yeah? But because it is recommended so much, it's precisely because it is a very powerful contemplation. It really challenges your attachments. Yeah? If you're going to die tomorrow, what does that mean for you? What does that mean in terms of how you deal with all the things that you hold on to in this life? And it starts to have a powerful uh, effect on your mind. It drives you in a spiritual direction. Yeah. There's much to be said about the idea of dying, and it is something that I would recommend you to do every day. Uh, yeah, a little bit of death contemplation, just to remind yourself that you don't know. Uh, gradually it sinks into the mind. Gradually you become ready to die at any time. Uh, the sign that you're ready to die is that you have a little bit of an accident and you're able to let go of things. Yeah, Then you know that you're kind of ready to die because you can see that your mind is able to let go. That's a wonderful thing when that happens. And you will be able to really appreciate the beauty of a moment like that. The moment you let go in the face of death, you feel really peaceful. You feel really serene. You feel spiritual in a sense when that happens. When someone themselves is liable to sorrow, Understanding the drawbacks of being liable to sorrow, they seek the freedom from sorrow, the supreme sanctuary and extinguishment. Uh, yeah, sorrow here, Pali word is soka. It means like sadness and sorrow, uh, things in life going wrong, uh, people dying, people getting sick, other things dying, your house burning down, whatever it might be. Uh, you sorrow, you lament, you beat your breast, as it says in the suttas. Uh, and uh, uh, this is part and parcel of life as well. Uh, one of the 
things that we do in life where we get it wrong is that when everything is going well, we become complacent. Life is going well, yay, everything is going well, okay, just enjoy life. And then bang, you get hit over the head by something. Yeah. This is kind of the nature of life. So never become complacent. Never take the happiness for granted. Yeah. Because if you do have a short period of happiness, you know it will be punctuated by suffering down the track. Yeah. Suffering and happiness always revolving around each other. Yeah. So never become complacent. If you're happy, okay, enjoy it, but be on your guard because you know things are going to happen. And that makes you... Uh, some people, they become very spiritual and very religious when life is going bad. And then when life is going well, they completely forget, okay, no more meditation, nothing like that. Well, that is the wrong attitude. If you don't allow yourself to become intoxicated by these things, if you don't allow yourself to uh, take things for granted, uh, then you will always carry on your spiritual practice. Uh. So you remind yourself that life is never, never going to be continuously happy. There's no such thing. It's always just up and down, up and down. Uh. And then you carry on with the spiritual practice. Uh. When someone is themselves liable to be corrupted, uh, understand the drawbacks in being liable to corruption, seek the uncorrupted or the freedom from corruption, uh, the supreme sanctuary and extinguishment. Uh, you understand this idea of corruption, of defilements in the mind, uh, and how terrible and how frightening it is, and how it gets a hold on you, and how it drives you in the wrong direction. You don't really even understand this when it happens. Uh, it is scary to be blind. It is scary to be deluded because you have no idea what's going on. And you have no idea of the extent of your delusion. So it's wonderful to have you here because it means that you're already a little bit out, coming out of that delusion to some extent. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. But there is delusion there. And that delusion is just waiting to strengthen itself. The corruption is ready to grow depending on who you hang out with, who your friends are. Here you have come with your Kalyana Mitta, the good friends. But sometimes people have Papa Mitta. Papa Mitta is the evil friend, the bad friend. Yeah? Papa is bad. And so make sure that you have more Kalyana Mittas than Papa Mittas in your life. And it's so easy for this delusion to strengthen, take you down the garden path, heading in the wrong direction. These things are truly scary because they make you blind. You're literally in darkness. You don't know what is going on this is what is so scary about this. Uh, yeah. And once you are in that darkness, you start doing bad things that lead you even more in the wrong direction without really fathoming what you're doing. Uh, you don't know that you're doing bad things that will lead to suffering down the track. You can't even see it. Uh, so these defilements are truly scary when you understand what is going on. Uh, and so what you want to do, and this is kind of the, the wonderful thing about the spiritual path, uh, once you start practicing in the right way, uh, once you start to get a little bit of right view, a little bit of right perception, uh, you can feel that your mind straightens out uh, and you start to see things you never saw before. It's like your eyes are gradually opening. Uh, and that feeling of your gr eyes gradually opening is a very powerful feeling. Uh, please notice that. Uh, Whenever you feel that you are a little bit peaceful, whenever you feel that your defilements are going down, whenever you feel a sense of spiritual uplift and happiness, make note of what is going on, because this is the fuel, the motivation for overcoming even more defilements. Because even though you may feel that now, oh, now I feel really clear about things, you still probably haven't got full clarity. There's more clarity down the track. Yeah? And you will think that this state of clarity you have now seems like peanuts down the track. Yeah, There's much more clarity to, to arise. Yeah? 
So notice these things, because when you notice that, you can start to understand the danger of these defilements of the mind, the danger of being corrupted, uh, the fact that we are enthralled to these things. We are so deeply conditioned through past lives, coming into this existence with all of these problems. Uh, don't really understand what is going on. Uh, now is the opportunity to come out of this. Uh, this is what you start to see here. Uh, so you see everyone around you being corrupted. Then you understand your own defilements, your own corruption, how frightening they are. Okay, I better seek freedom from this corruption. Why? Because it is truly worrisome what is going on here. <clears throat> so again, the idea of the supreme sanctuary, the anuttara yoga kema, the rest from exertion, and then the extinguishment, and one of the main meanings of extinguishment, and I think this is one of the things that people often get wrong. We discuss what nibbana means, and think people usually think about nibbana in the wrong way. Nibbana means the extinguishment in this life. It means becoming a... a a arahant becomes becoming reaching awakening and reaching awakening what is extinguished are the defilements of the mind uh, this is the main thing that gets distinguished uh, yeah this is like the main meaning of nibbana nibbana doesn't mean what happens when you die as an arahant nibbana means what happens when the defilements become extinguished this is the most important point on the buddhist path uh, this is what really matters uh. so this is the noble search uh, you can see why it is noble, yeah, because it is very profound and it is very different from the ordinary searches in life. When you do reflect on these things, some people find it very challenging to reflect on these things because they find that they get depressed or sad. Oh no, death, oh that's terrible. But, um, and that's true, some people do get sad, so be careful how you do these things. Remember that the purpose of all of these reflections is for uplift, is to make you feel better. Actually, when these kind of reflections work in the right way, combined with the spiritual practice, actually they can often lead to joy. Because you're giving up the lower things in life and putting your sight on the higher things in life. And because of that, whenever you give up something low, gladness arises as a consequence. So be careful with yourself. Know what you can do and what you can't do. Always monitor your own practice. Don't be blind. Just, don't just do things because it's in the suttas. Okay, I better reflect on all that. Oh, I feel so terrible. Okay, I must reflect, must reflect. And then kind of you draw, make yourself go crazy. So know what you can do. Know, understand your own mind. Be wise about these things. Don't just do things out of, you know, kind of blindness. I've seen that happening so many times. People do spiritual practice and completely blindly just following some kind of teacher without really reflecting for themselves. Uh, that's the wrong way of doing things. Uh. And then when you do it gradually in the right way, uh, you are gentle with yourself. Uh, okay, let me have a look at this old age business. Uh. Then it starts to have an impact uh, because you're doing it in the right way. Uh. And gradually, gradually you build it up. Uh. Yeah, this is everything in Buddhism is gradual. That's a gradual training, a gradual path, uh, gradual uncovering of these problems and defilements, uh, gradual clearing of the mind, gradual insight, a gradual attainment of samadhi, uh, and ultimately the gradual achievement uh, of the very end of the path itself. Uh. Okay, that is uh, all for now. So uh, I wish you all again a nice afternoon. Please carry on. There will be some interviews at four o'clock. So whoever is, uh, uh, is signed up, please uh, we'll see you over in the uh, 
uh, kitchen area over there. Uh, and then we will come back here and we will have a Q&A session at 6.30 this evening. Yeah. Okay.